Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in our prayer study, building up your armory, how to build a better prayer life. Um, I'm going to go back over the ones we covered last week. Not going to go into great discussion because we already did that, but just to kind of recap it for those that weren't here because a few people weren't here. And they are great points. When the Lord was giving me this lesson and I was studying for it, you know, how to build a better prayer life, how to build up that armory in, in your war room, in your prayer life. The very first thing he gave me for the list was discipline. And he basically said, this needs to be the first thing on your list. Because the truth of the matter is, is that without discipline, you're not going to do anything else on the list. So ultimately, it comes down to discipline. We've got to actually make ourselves do it. We've got to want to do it, even when we don't want to do it. And we've got to be obedient to seek the Lord for his instructions and walk out his instructions. He wants us to have a better prayer life. He wants us to grow in the things of God. But he wants us to not be lazy Christians. You know, the word says, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. He's already taken the first move. You know, Jesus shed his blood. He did all what he needed to do. Now he's waiting on us. He showed his love. We've got to show ours. And he will 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 respond to that. So we need to seek the Lord for perimeters, for how he wants us to pray, when, where, um, designate yourself to that time. You know, if the Lord says, you know, at this specific time, spend this amount of time in prayer on these days for this length of time, exactly as you would for a fast. You know, when you start to fast, the Lord tells you, you know, don't eat these things for this number of days, you know, and we have to stick out those perimeters even when we don't want to. If we're on a 21-day fast and we get to day 10 and all of a sudden we're really, really, really craving uh, cookies and a steak, that doesn't mean the Lord has called us out of that season of fasting. That means our flesh is getting getting, getting anxious. It's getting weak and it's wanting those things. And really that usually means that you're really about to get some breakthrough because the flesh is really fighting. So if you come to that place where you're spending that time in prayer and it's, you know, you're really feeling it for a while and it's strong and then it starts to wane, that's when you really have to put forth the effort to stick with it because you won't get the breakthrough if we fall out every time it gets a little unpleasant and say, oh, well, God's just not calling me to that anymore because it's no longer easy. When God called me to do the manas, he told me to do them for two years. And so I started to do the manas. And at first it was really, it was easy. They would come easy. And, I, and it was fun and it felt like I was just getting really fed. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really good. And they would just come to me like that. And they'd pour out, you know, and I, I was really into it. It was good. After a while, it got a little more laboring. It got more difficult. It got to where I didn't want to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and start studying and researching and doing all this stuff and it got more and more and more difficult to do it and so I'm like oh god this is becoming so so laboring what you know what is this and the Lord spoke to me he said to worship me in spirit and in truth requires more than emotion it requires devotion so I was like oh well it's going to take devotion to write these devotions and it has and when you stick with it you know though that stuff does come back. And there are days when it's still extremely hard. And then there are days when, boy, it just comes and I know it's a word for somebody and it, you know, it's good. But at the end of it, especially on the hard days, you're all the more 
uh, appreciative of it because you stuck it out and he came through. So it's the same thing in prayer. Even when it gets hard, it gets taxing, it gets tiring, stick it out, stick it out, because usually that's either when your flesh is getting tired, which is good because it means it's getting weak, or that's when the devil's coming against you because you're about to get breakthrough, and the last thing he wants is you in your prayer closet because that's where most of your victories are going to be won. So the first one is discipline, and all throughout the week, God just kept kind of hammering that back on me about discipline, discipline, discipline. The church in general, not specifically us, but in general, the church is not disciplined. They're immature. Discipline brings maturity. They're, they're selfish children because they're not disciplined. We can't be disciples if we're not disciplined. It's kind of the root word. It's, it's connected very much. So a big problem in the church today is a lack of discipline. We look at children and we say, why do we say a person is acting childish when they're acting selfish, when they're being spoiled? When they're acting prideful, we say, oh, that's childish. Well, what does discipline do? Discipline works that out of you. If you're disciplined, you're not going to be selfish. If you're disciplined, you're not going to be spoiled. If you're disciplined, you're not going to be prideful. You're going to be disciplined. So discipline is absolutely key. And when we come to the end of it, I'm going to come back to that because the Lord directed me to something during the week that illustrates this so perfectly, I could not even have ever hoped to explain it myself better than this does. So, all right, the next thing on the list was building your prayer life in the secret place, having that alone place that you can get to to really commune with God and open up and say whatever you need to say. You know, if you need to get real with God, you need that alone place where nobody's judging you. Corporate prayer is great. We We need corporate prayer, but we all need that alone, intimate time with God. All right, the next one was get a prayer partner. It truly helps you to grow in gifts when you can bounce off of another person. Still spend your personal time in prayer in the secret place, but get that one-on-one prayer partner also that can agree with you and that you can use to confirm what the Lord is giving you back and forth. And that one-on-one prayer partner is different than a group because you can hide in a group, but you can't hide with that one-on-one person. And when you're going back and forth, one person speaks, then the other person speaks, one person prays, the other person prays, Stuff starts to come out, and you know it's your turn, and you're going to pray something. Those giftings start to come out of you. The other person confirms it. It goes back and forth. It really builds your gifting to have that that agreement. All right, and then fervent prayer, which was, I think, the last one that we got to cover, was the intentional, focused, uh, attentive, laboring, desperate prayer. Throughout Scripture, and we looked at uh, Elijah and how it said that He cried earnestly. He prayed. It says, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. So righteousness is required because if you're not in right standing with God, he will not hear your prayers because the word says that he will not hear a sinner's prayers except for the prayer of repentance. So if you are doing what is right and living by God and you give that fervent prayer, it will avail much. And the example, of course, was Elijah. And the verses we read says that when he prayed, he fell to the ground and he's, his face was between his knees. He was praying so hard that he was balled up and his face was literally between his knees. And we might say that it's kind of hard to stay in that state of fervent prayer. But if we look at Elijah, and the point made was that he was no different from the rest of us. The only thing that separated him was that he prayed fervently and he was righteous. But it was three years, remember, from the point that he prayed for the rain to stop. And then three years later, 
when he prayed for it to rain again. So he had maintained that ability to reach out in that fervent prayer, at least for that three-year span, but obviously we know it was more than that. So though it is difficult, it is possible. we just got to be disciplined, and we've got to be selfless, and we've got to constantly come back to the, the Lord and seek him. When something's wrong, go back to the list that we had when we started this of the things that hinder your prayer life and make sure that there's not something hindering you. So now we pick up where we left off. And the next thing on our list is pray out loud. Praying out loud helps you to focus and not get distracted. It also, there's power in proclaiming. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to always pray out loud, of course. But these are things, these are extra arrows in our quiver. These are different things that we can add to our prayer life that will have power. And if you find yourself getting distracted a lot or you start praying and then your mind easily wanders, try praying out loud. You're not going to get so easily distracted when you're speaking directly to God out loud. And that's something he told me to do at the point when I was getting very distracted. And another thing the Lord told me is that pray out loud and when you feel he's answering you, speak that out loud. Because not only is there power in the spoken tongue that you're proclaiming that and claiming it and sending that forth uh, in the physical world, but also it's training you to speak the word of God. So that if I'm at home in my prayer time and I'm praying out loud and the Lord speaks something to me and I say that out loud, then when I go up to somebody in church and I feel I need to pray for them, I'm going to already be in the habit. It's not going to be so difficult to pray out loud to them. And also that if the Lord gives me something for them, I'll be more inclined to speak it because I've just become accustomed to doing that. So pray out loud. When he gives you something, speak it back out loud, even if nobody's listening, especially if nobody's listening, because when people listen, that's when we really don't want to say it out loud. But there is power in the sound. We did that study a while back on the power of sound. You know, the word in the beginning, it was the word. There really is creative power in frequency, in sound. So there's power in praying out loud. You know, and it's been said that because sound waves never stop, once you speak it, it goes out and it's forever. And the Lord's word will not return void. So send it out. Proverbs 18, 20, and 21 says, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Mark eleven twenty two says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall believe, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith, but you've got to say it. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye shall receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So this is kind of implying that, hey, just because I said that if you speak it, it'll happen, doesn't mean there are still conditions. If you're holding unforgiveness, if you have any of those things that hinder your prayer life sin, if you're praying outside of the will of God, 
those things do not apply. But there is power in the spoken word. And you know, it's God because a day or two ago, um, on Facebook, it, you know, it does this thing where it'll show you three years ago today you posted this or five years ago you posted this. Well, there was one during the week that I had posted, I think like three years ago, um, about acting on your faith. Miracles require action. And this applies to that when it says, speak to the mountain and it shall be removed. You praying, you have the faith to do it, but if you never take action upon that faith, there's no reason for God to do it because he won't get the glory for it. For example, if somebody is sick and God just decides, well, I'm going to heal them, well, he can do that. He's God. He has the prerogative. But if he just does that, then that person's just going to think, oh, I got better. And everybody else is just going to be like, oh, they got better or they took some medicine or they went to the doctor. But if that person acts upon that faith, they believe, they get up, they come, it says lay hands. You know, if anyone be sick among you, lay hands. The action of laying hands doesn't actually heal, but it gives God the glory because that faith has been acted upon. If that person is sick and they come and you lay hands and you pray on them in the name of Jesus and then they get healed, then God gets the glory and everybody knows God did that. So faith is great, but faith must be acted upon not because the action has any power, but because that's the only way that God will get the glory because we have to show forth physically in this physical world the actions of faith. Speaking does that. When you speak that forth and then something happens, that really builds your faith. So pray out loud. The next thing on our list, another arrow in your quiver, and this is a, a really good one that a lot of people don't do. I know some of us here do. We should do it more. And if we don't, we need to start. And that's write it in a book. Writing your prayer, not just the prayer, but also what you feel the Lord speaking back to you. If there's anything that he gives you, something that he did, write it all down. Journal it all. But specifically what he replies to you, I always try to write. You know, a lot of times if you're sitting there and you're praying, and you're getting really unfocused and distracted, and you're praying on something specific, if you just get your journal out and sit down and say, okay, Lord, speak to me, stuff will start coming. And as you start writing, and you might only have one or two words, you might feel the Lord saying to you, dear child, and that's all you've got. But by the time you write, dear child, the rest will be coming. And as you write it out, you'll be focused, you'll learn to hear from him more clearly, and you'll have a record of it, so three months from now, when you go back and read it and you're like, oh my gosh, that happened exactly the way he said it, you'll know that you're not making stuff up. You really are hearing from God. So that will train you to hear the voice of God also. Now, the good thing in, in doing that is if you're going through something, like especially if you're going through some a, a situation, this is an ongoing situation and your faith keeps getting weakened and torn down about it. This is an ongoing situation that the devil constantly worries or with. Um, Having that stuff written down helps you when the devil's really beating on you to go back and open it up and be reminded of the things God has said, the things he's done. It builds your faith. Remember, you know, the, the Israelites, they were constantly getting discouraged in the desert and you're like in the wilderness and you're like, my gosh, God did so much for them. Why would they be discouraged? But we do the same thing. God has done miracle after miracle for me in situations and the devil still comes on me and makes me weary or worried in that situation. And God's like, Remember what I've done. And when you really start thinking about what he has done, it, it calms the lies of the enemy. Anytime I'm going to sit down. Now, God might give me something in the middle of the day and I run and go write it down. He might 
confirmed something and I really want to keep a record of this. He might start giving me something that I make a Facebook post and I'm like, ooh, that's good, I need to write that down. Oh, but specifically when I'm sitting down in that prayer closet, in that prayer time, okay, this is, I'm going to commune with God. I have a notebook because I don't want to miss what he's telling me. You know, like I treasure what he's going to speak to me and I want to be ready if he does. If I go to a lecture, you know, I spend all this money to go to a big conference and sit under this big name lecture. You know, you spend all this money and effort getting there. You're going to put forth the effort to take notes or to record or to buy one of the discs because it really speaks to you. So it's these are things that we have to say, okay, we are with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, uh, David Wilkerson did a sermon once about how would you act if the president was in your house? You know, the next day you would be like telling everybody, you'd be bragging on it, you'd have pictures, you'd, you know, said, well, you can have the Holy Spirit, you can have the King of Kings in your house and, and we act like it's nothing. So it, it's very, very, very helpful and I would definitely encourage to get a prayer journal and put in it whatever the Lord leads you to put. If you're not getting anything, write your prayer, write your letter to him. If you're getting stuff from him, that's what I typically write is when he tells me something more than what I have to tell him because his memory is better than mine. So I typically write what he tells me. Um, you know, the Bible says write it in a book, make it plain. Write the vision in a book, make it plain. You know, if he gives you a vision, write it down. If he gives you something, because it really does fill your faith when you can go back. Our memories are really terrible. When you go back and see something and you're like, oh my gosh, that is so exactly what happened. You know you hear him. Jeremiah 30, verse 1 and 2 says, okay, this was God speaking to Jeremiah. And the word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all these words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. So Jeremiah, God told him, when I tell you something, write it in a book. Exodus seventeen fourteen, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heavens. He gave Moses a prophecy and he said, write it down because I want it to be a testimony when this happens. And he not, not only write it down, but keep reading it to Joshua because I want people to, I want him to know when I do this that it was me. And really we need that. We need to have stuff written because we need to know that it really was him. Isaiah 30 verse 8 says, now go write it before them in a tablet and note it in a book that it might be for the time to come and forever and ever. So here we have Jeremiah, Moses, and Isaiah all told to write what he's telling them in a book. And it's really to help us remember it. It's for us. Habakkuk 2, verse 2 and 3 says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tablets, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Writing really hones in the prophetic gift. Because there's so much stuff that God gives us prophetically that by the time it comes around we've forgotten. And we don't think he's giving us anything. Write it down, because usually when he's giving you something for later, He'll bring it back to your remembrance. He'll find a way to bring it back before your eyes. 
there's so many times where I've just by chance opened to something that God gave me years before or something came up on Facebook in a memory and it spoke to me that day in that situation and it was a prophetic word that he gave me really for me way before I needed it but it was written down so he was able to bring it back before my eyes so if nothing else it's good for that but it's also good too because like I said it kind of focuses you as you're doing it you're not going to get distracted you know you're praying okay Lord I need your help on this situation God please tell me what to do you hear about three words of instruction and then you're thinking about what's for dinner and you're like oh my gosh I started to get it and I'm so distracted now but if you're writing it, you're not going to get that distracted it really does help you to focus and be able to receive a lot better and the more you write the less you'll need to because you're going to train yourself to stay focused all right the next arrow or weapon in our armory is the one nobody likes fasting fasting is one of the most powerful tools for your prayer life remember that scripture says that some things only go through prayer and fasting Fasting helps you to hear from God, it detoxes you, it clarifies you, it crucifies the flesh, it strengthens the spirit. Fasting is so powerful. If you find yourself in a rut, you can't hear from God, something's going on. Lord, you got to show me what the problem is. I don't know why I'm in this wilderness. I don't know why I can't get out. I can't hear from you. What's going on? I repent. Help me fast. I have never had him fail when I was obedient to truly fast to not be able to hear him a thousand times clearer and you know it's interesting we don't know all the things that are actually happening when we fast we have a few understandings of why it works you know it's crucifying the flesh it's you know you're sacrificing you're strengthening the spirit all of these things but god is so smart he tells us to do things that we really have no idea why you know god has told me to fast things that later i found out physically i needed to not be eating because it was causing medical issues and everybody will invite you to dinner and bring you stuff two crawfish bowls in one bowls danny never comes home with food food never makes it to danny's hand and survives long enough to make it home he comes home today with with some really awesome buffalo chicken it's kind of like a hot dog thing but anyway we had eaten them before and really loved them and all and he comes home he's like hey you remember those awesome things i got you one and he gives it to me and i smell it and i'm like he's like here i got it for you i was like huh i want it i really really want it but i can only have water for days water after church keep it for days, just water, and you're going to put this in my face, but that's when you know that you're supposed to do it. All right, Mark 9, 28 and 29 says, When they, and when he was come into the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? This, they tried to cast demons out of somebody, and they couldn't do it. And he said unto them, This kind cometh forth not by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. So, we know by scripture that there are things in our life that we cannot overcome except by prayer and fasting. So it is important. You can get that breakthrough that you wouldn't get any other way if you just add fasting. And of course, prayer is important to the fast because without prayer, it's just a diet. So we need to spend that time in prayer also. And it's a good reminder that every time you get hungry and you feel that hunger pain, let it remind you to pray. 
That's how you feed the spirit while you starve the flesh. And it'll strengthen your spirit and weaken your flesh. Matthew 6, 16 through 18 says, Moreover, when ye fast, this was Jesus' instructions. Notice how he doesn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. Fasting is a requirement for all Christians. If anybody claims to be Christian and has never fasted, I would say that you have been disobedient to God whether you realized it or not because at some point in your Christian life, if you are truly a real Christian, God is going to call you to fast. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, in other words, don't put on a big show. Fix yourself up. Look normal. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret. And thy father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. Alright. The next thing that we need to be doing in our prayer closet, in our prayer life, is rebuking and using our authority. That seems like obviously, but all too often we'll sit there and cry and beg and whine and God's like, I've given you the authority to deal with it. Why don't you just get up and rebuke it? You know, a good example of that is when you know the devil is like harassing you at night and you lay in bed and you toss and you turn and you just don't deal with it until you wake up the next morning exhausted because you fought all night and then you think, why didn't I just get up and kick him out of the house? Why didn't I just rebuke him? I could have slept. We, we kind of get in those states where we, we get weary and well-doing. And he starts kicking us while we're down. And the truth is, we've already got the power to deal with him, to kick him out of that situation, to rebuke him, to fight, to pray for other people and rebuke for their situations. We need to speak those authorities forth and use them and use them daily in our prayer. We need to go to war and kick the devil's butt and literally speak those rebukes when we're praying for people, for ourselves, for our families. There's arguments in the house. Don't sit in the corner and cry and, and beg God why you're not fixing this. Get up, anoint the house, rebuke the devil, kick it out. It's your dominion. He can't stay there unless you let him. The devil gets away with a lot more than he needs to just because we let him. So remember in your prayer closet and in your prayer life that it's not all about begging God to do things. Sometimes he wants to train you to do things too. Luke 4, 33-36 says, and in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. Remember that when we become Christians, we become heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus, meaning that we inherit the same authority that he has. So sometimes we need to stop getting beat on and start doing the beat and just rebuke the devil. Ephesians 1, 19, 23 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, Lord, who believe, according to the workings of his mighty power, which he wrought in Jesus, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand 
in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that fulfilleth all in all. So all the power and dominion was given to Christ, and he was put the head over the church. We are all members, part of his body, so though we are working in different functions, we all still carry the same authority. My hand has the same authority that my head does because it's part of my body. My foot has the same authority that my head does because it's part of my body. We all have the same authority that Christ does because we are part of his body, as long as we are being obedient to the leading of the head. Romans 8.16 says, For the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you're rebuking and it ain't working, Try fasting and rebuking. It's stronger. All right. The next thing that needs to be done in our prayer closet also is praying both in tongues and in the understanding. We always tend to lean one way or the other. Sometimes some people will focus mostly on praying in the understanding, and then some people will focus mostly on praying in tongues. I think it's important to do both. Because praying in the understanding is more intentional, but praying in tongues gives you that revelation that you didn't have in the understanding. So I think it's important to remember to do both. And when you start praying in tongues, also listen and feel for the leading of the Holy Spirit when he wants you to switch back to the understanding. Because a lot of times that's how you get words and revelation. Your spirit is speaking that tongue. And then the Lord is ministering it to you and you're actually getting interpretation. But I think a lot of times we get kind of in the routine of just continuing in the tongue because it's easy and we skip over the interpretation and we never really get to fill our spirit with the stuff the Lord is putting in us. You, you know what's happening? And the Lord kind of just dropped this in my spirit. You know how I taught on having the prayer partner and how it helps to bounce off of each other back and forth with that prayer? Basically, the Holy Spirit is your prayer partner in that scenario. You're praying for a little while, and then you're allowing the Holy Spirit to pray for a little while, and then you're praying for a little, you're bouncing back and forth off of that Spirit. So He's giving you insight and revelation as you go and confirming, and then you're speaking, and these things are being revealed to you. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And this basically explains what the purpose of praying in tongues is. Really, truly, it's for intercession, for praying for other people for the most part. That's not its sole purpose, but that is one of its greatest purposes. Uh, to help bring about the will of God. So when you're sitting there and you're praying for people and we really don't know what we should pray for them, we pray what we think, we pray what we feel, we pray what we feel like the Spirit is leading us to pray. 
But then when we pray in tongues, we know that we're truly praying the will of God and we're doing it, for the, we're interceding for them for the purpose of bringing them into God's will. And so when that Holy Spirit is praying, sometimes it's God's will for you to pray for that other person or to pray for this thing. You know, you might be praying for somebody and you're like, I don't know what the situation is. They're just on my heart. And then you pray in tongues for a little while and then you start to feel an anxiety or a fear or something. And you're like, I think they're going through something and they're feeling kind of anxious. So then you text them a verse, you know, about trusting in the Lord or whatever. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I needed that so much right now. You know, you're you're getting that insight from the Holy Spirit because that intercession is about trying to bring them into the will of God, help them get saved or keep them saved. A lot of times we pick up stuff that's a discernment for people and we don't recognize what it is. You know, when I first started getting giving words for people, really, for the most part, that's how it came to me. I'd be praying for them and then I would feel an emotion in my heart. And I was like, okay, that's what they're going through. It took me a little while to figure it out. That's what they're feeling. So then I would sit there and I would pray and I would think about that feeling. What is that? What does that feel like? Well, then I would, you know, try to text them and say something to them about it. And they'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. That's what I'm going through. That's what I'm, you know, and a lot of times the devil twists those gifts against us. You know, God might be having, trying to give you a discernment to pray for somebody that's having trouble in their marriage. And you're getting all agitated and fighting with your spouse, you know, because you're feeling that emotion that really should be a discernment. Or maybe you're just picking up that spirit that's coming against them. But whatever the cause we take those emotions onto ourselves, and a lot of time we shouldn't. You know, there I, I've said it before. I was in, in a situation in Baton Rouge one time where we were doing street ministry, and there was somebody that I had been working on who was called to ministry that was being hard-headed and was not doing what the Lord had instructed, and God was getting very angry with him and was pretty much ready to withdraw himself from him because he was about to go down a path with people he wasn't supposed to be with, and I was frustrated. And I told the girl next to me, I was like, I was like, I'm just so frustrated with this. I was like, I, I can feel the grieving of the Holy Spirit. Like God is so grieved over this. He doesn't know what he's about to throw away messing with God like this. And she was like, oh, is that what that is? I was like, what? She said that that heartbroke, depression, horrible, sick feeling. I was like, yeah, that's the grieving of the Holy Spirit. She said, oh, I thought that was me. I take antidepressants for that. Like she had been medicated because she thought she was manic depressant, but really she was just very sensitive to the spirit. And the world had told her, hey, this is a disorder. You need to be medicated. She was medicating it, numbing a gift. No, that's the grieving of the Holy Spirit. You're discerning things. So I think a lot of times we do that. We'll feel, I always tell people, if you are depressed and you don't need to be, if your dog didn't just get run over or something happened that need that, literally means I should be crying and you're feeling strong emotions of depression or crying or whatever, stop and ask God, what is this? What is this spirit? Who am I picking this up for? What is this about? Because a lot of times it's something that somebody else is going through that you could be interceding for. So we start to recognize those things. Those are gifts that can be used to the benefit of the, the body of Christ. But these are the things that we need to start to recognize. The devil keeps us very disfocused in, in our giftings that we can actually turn. You know, I used to tell people all the time, you know, as a kid, you have that scared of the dark feeling, you know. And even as adults, sometimes you feel that and you're like, what? You know, why? You know, I'm outside and I just want to run back to the house when normally that's not an issue. <laughs> you know, those feelings. And I always tell people that's a discernment. Like kids are very discerning. Um. You know, when we were kids, we were told if you, you know, if you 
feel something around, just tell it to be going in Jesus' name, and it has to obey. Kids have absolute faith. They have so much spiritual power, it's ridiculous. They're pure, and their faith is absolute. So you tell them they can destroy Satan, they're going to give him a hard time. Like, it's true. But uh, but it's true, you know, and I tell people, stop and think about that feeling. Okay, what is really fear? Like, what we think of as the emotion of fear, the, you know, the natural fear that keeps you safe. Okay. If somebody pulls out in front of you and you almost hit them and you got to slam on your brakes and your heart races, that is an actual feeling of fear. That's very different from the feeling that you get whenever you're afraid of the dark or you feel something around you. What you're feeling there is more akin to what you feel if you are being hunted by a predator. It's more akin to what you feel like. I was at the zoo in Lafayette one time and I decided to stare down the tiger. I don't know why, but this, it made him crazy. Like it made him crazy. That tiger went nuts. And there's not a whole lot of sturdy structure in the Lafayette Zoo. So this tiger would like jump on the fence and it was just a chain link doll fence, you know, and he was yelling and the spit was flying and the moms were taking their kids away. And there was a guy there was a photographer. So I'd stop and when I would look away, Boy, he'd get so mad and he'd just pace. That tiger would pace. And the guy was like, make him do it again. I'm getting great shots. So I would just kind of stare him in the eye and he would go crazy, Matt. But when I tell you, even though you know he, you're pretty much safe, the sound that that animal makes, being close to an animal that wants to kill you and is making that sound, you can't help but feel that feeling. Even if you're not scared, you still feel that feeling that you get when you have that I'm scared of the dark or there's an evil spirit around. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, the rest of the whole time I was in that zoo, every place I went, I was looking for where I could go if that tiger got out. Because I was like, if he gets out, he's going to find me. He was so mad. But that's a discernment that what we call it scared or scared of the dark or, you know, the boogeyman. You're feeling the presence of, of spirits and it's just a discernment. Now, we need to learn to not be afraid of it, but to recognize it as a discernment. You know, there's been times where people would call me in the middle of the night. I'll, I'll give you an example. I woke up one night, and I looked to the side, and standing on the side of the bed was this really tall, huge, demonic being. And it was just, like, right there over me, you know, and it's like, you know, boogie boogie, you know. And so it's right there, and I rolled over, and I looked, and I said, oh, what are you doing here? Oh, well, if you're here, you're not bothering anybody else. So then I rolled over and went to sleep. Well, it didn't bother me, so I guess it was, like, mad. So I roll over and I go to sleep, and literally, like, a minute later, I get a call from Derek in Kansas. Where is it? In Kansas. Like, literally, as soon as I roll over and try to go back to sleep, I get a call from Derek in Kansas. Oh, my God! There's a huge demon in my room! He's freaking out. Miranda, rebuke it! Do something! Oh, my God! I was like, it made me get up anyway. So. I was like, now that I got to get up, it's on. We're going to fight. So I had to get up and rebuke it. But when you come to recognize that that feeling is a discernment, you realize you don't have to be afraid of it. It's just making you aware. So though I felt the same thing Derek felt, I rolled over and went back to sleep because I knew it had no authority over me. It was just a discernment. He took it as fear and went into a panic mode. It wasn't a breaker box. <laughs> It's on, so if I'm fighting a breaker box, I'm fighting you too. 
All right, now I have to tell the story because Lakin and some of them weren't here. Oh, it's awesome. Look, every once in a while, Ashley will just randomly bust out laughing, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? She goes like, breaker box, and starts laughing. I wake Yeah, yeah, it is. I woke up one one night, and I'm laying in bed. I wake up, and I hear Danny. He's kind of like whispering, but he's fussing at the same time. What's going on? And I listen. And I hear him, get out in Jesus' name, he's rebuking. And I, I thought for a second, I was like, he must be rebuking something. So I laid there for a second, like, I don't feel anything. I, I usually, I, I usually have good discernment with, with, you know, that's been my gift since I was like a baby. Like, I, I don't feel anything. I wonder what in the world he sees. So I roll over and he's sitting up in bed. He's going at it. I said, I said, baby, what do you see? He's like, that demon on the, by the door, look, that shadow man, you don't see him? I said, the breaker box? <laughs> he, said, he said, no, no, it's not. It's, a, it's like a shadow man, look, the hand, you don't see it? I was like, I promise you, if you turn the light on, it's a breaker. Well, the light, you have to go closer to it to turn the light on. <laughs> so he wasn't having none of that. So turn the light on, and when the light comes on, he's like, shut up. <laughs> it really was the breaker box is like this to the floor and then there's a plaque on the top of it and it the shadow it looked like that's right he was using that authority hey do it every once in a while anyway if there is something there get rid of it I was, I was laughing I couldn't the lights and the was coming down I took out a whole grid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. But I bet, I bet it's more doubtful. Yeah, when he didn't listen. I got bold. Yeah, he even said that at one point. He's like, I don't know why he's not listening. Because it's a breaker box. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but if mountains can move, breaker boxes can move too, yeah. You know? Danny's not going to do anything because he's going to think it's a breaker box. Who's fault is that, huh? He's like, oh no, I ain't doing nothing because y'all gonna laugh about this at church for years. <laughs> it was funny. It really was. Yeah. It still brings me great joy. So, <laughs> so all right. Uh, the next verse, Ephesians six eighteen and twenty. So next time the breaker box doesn't listen, you need to try fasting and praying in tongues. Uh. Always, uh, praying always in the power and supplication of the Spirit. Okay, now this is actually part of the, uh, the full armor of God. So we're talking about praying and warfare and your war room. After it gives you all of the physical armor, it actually tells you to pray. So it's saying basically all of the other parts of the armor are to make your prayers effectual, if you want to know the truth about it. Because the prayer is the actual warfare. The armor is just making it effectual. So it concludes with this in Ephesians 6. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, praying for others, and for me that utterance may be given unto me 
that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I speak, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. All right. And 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. And this is why I say that you also need to pray in the understanding also. Because if you pray for two hours in tongues, you will get some benefit out of it, but you won't get much understanding out of it. And you really need to, to allow yourself to bounce back and forth. Uh, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? And that kind of goes back to about what I had mentioned earlier about praying out loud, that you become accustomed to do it so that you can minister to others in praying out loud, praying for people and receiving words. If all you do is pray in tongues in your private time and you don't spend any time receiving and praying in the understanding, you won't be trained to be able to do it to pray for other people when you're around others. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be ye men. In other words, he was saying in malice, in wicked things, be innocent as children, but in understanding be mature like men. So it is important to do both. And it's important to always try to keep a balance of both. If you see yourself leaning one way or the other, you know, make it an effort not to of course be led of the holy spirit because if he's calling you to war for somebody for deliverance he may have you pray in tongues more than in the spirit than in the understanding but don't let yourself come to a point where that's all you're doing because a lot of times we kind of get lazy and just rattle off stuff in tongues and don't really put forth the intentional effort to pray for what we you know pray in the understanding pray for people call things out and also hear from god all right another great weapon for your war room praise praise is powerful acts 16:24 says who having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks and at midnight paul and silas prayed and sang praises unto god and the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. They prayed and praised. There is great power in praise. And of course, you don't have to do all of these things every time you pray, but have it in your quiver, have it in your, your armory to pull out as the Holy Spirit leads. There's going to be times where the Spirit is leading you to grieve, to brokenness, to crying out. And there's times when God's going to tell you, get up and praise. It's time to win this fight. I'm bringing the victory. And you may not feel like it, but get up and praise because it does break things in the Spirit. God inhabits the praises of his people. When God comes, 
the enemy loses. Satan hates when God gets praise and flees, leaving the enemy's camp in confusion. Remember, Satan wants to be praised. More than anything else, he wants to be God and he wants to be worshipped as God. When we worship God, he cannot stand it, especially if he's beaten down on you and he thinks he's got you in a corner where you're you're wearing down and you're about ready to give up on God and, and he thinks that you should be thinking, oh God, where are you? And you turn around and you start worshiping and praising God. It makes him furious. He throws a temper tantrum, a kissy fit. He can't stand it. He doesn't want to be around it. He leaves, he flees, and he leaves the enemy's camp in confusion. They have no leader. Jericho, they did. They marched for seven days, praying, waiting, and trusting and obeying God. Um, it ended with a shout of praise, and the walls came tumbling down. They prayed, they trusted, they believed, they praised for seven days, and it brought forth victory. I find if there's two things the devil cannot stand to be around, it's both the praise of God and the belittling of him. He wants to be worshipped. When we think very lowly of him and we're not so worried about him, it's like he shrinks. He doesn't want to face that. And when we praise God, he definitely doesn't want to face that either. All right. Now the next one, dance. Biblically, dance is a warfare. It's a form of praise, but it's also a form of similitude. Um, when you are in your prayer closet, of course, you're alone time. If the Holy Spirit leads you to get up and dance, get up and dance. You're not seeking glory on yourself because nobody else can see it. There's a difference in people that just want to be seen and they want to stand in front of the church and put on a big hoo-ha and it's just to be seen. But there is a power in dance. Um, in Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 6, 12, it says, and it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. He had a victory. He was glad. He was praising God. And it was so that when they that bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpets. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And, of course, it goes on that she got in trouble with God uh, for doing that. If I remember right, I think she was cursed with being barren. She didn't have any kids. Um, so God liked his dancing. He was praising and he was joyful. There was a victory, and it says he danced with all of his might. Exodus fifteen nineteen. For the horses of Pharaoh went in with the chariots and with the horsemen, into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. Of course, this is the story of Moses. But the children of Israel went on dry land and in the midst of the sea. And Miriam, the prophetess, by the way, Miriam, Moses' sister, was a prophet. His, such a strange word. Um, and sister of Aaron, 
took a timbrel in her hand, which was, a, they say, a form of either a tambourine or a hand drum, and all the women went after her with timbrels and with dance. So she led a herd of women dancing and playing tambourines and drums and praising the Lord. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. But I tell you, they danced and praised and in worship after the victory. I tell you to do it before the victory. Do it in faith, and the victory will come. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And when you praise him and you sing and you give that joy and that thanksgiving, spend some time in your prayer being thankful and, you know, and do that. But also dance can come into a different aspect. And I'm going to cover similitudes next, but I want to kind of touch on that because a lot of times what we would consider kind of dance really is a similitude. And a similitude is basically when the Holy Spirit acts something out through you, which is similar to something that he's going to do. For example, when... Uh, Apostle Kelvin came from Vegas and he told Ben to come out and walk up to the altar. And then he said, you know what he's doing? He's walking into his ministry. That would be a prophetic similitude. It was similar to what was happening in the spirit. In dance, when you're praying and you're in warfare, you know, if God puts it on you to dance, a lot of times the movements that you're doing, you may not realize it, but sometimes you start to kind of decipher it in your heart. You begin to realize really is a similitude, you know. You might be praying for somebody and then before you know it, you know, you're you're making the motions of casting chains off or something like that. And you didn't even realize it until after a while. And you start to put together the motions that the Holy Spirit is moving through you. You're putting forth that thing. You might be warring for somebody, you know, and you're just praying and you're, you're just calling that and pushing those things out, whatever it is. Stomping. Satan is under our feet. Exactly. Those are similitudes that are actually warfare in your dance, in the spirit. There is power and warfare in dance. Now, of course, all of this is to be led of the Holy Spirit, what God tells you to pull out of your armory, whatever time when it's needed. You know, there's been time when God's told me, okay, like he might have had me through a season of warfare where I was warring, and he would tell me, okay, that's it for the next 40 days, just praise. Just praise. Thank me. Dance. So my prayer time changes. And that's because he's already set forth in motion the victory. And you're just doing that that in faith. So it's whatever he leads you to do. Now, I'll be honest. Most dance that you see in church, for the majority, it's not God. Most of it is look at me. Most of it is putting on a show. A lot of it is provocative and distractive and disturbing and not godly at all. Um, but that doesn't negate the fact that there is power in the truth the true form of it. There's a lot of times on Saturday night you'll see me disappear for a little while. It's because the Lord's telling me I'm in warfare. He's telling me to dance. I'll go hide in the nursery for a little while so that I don't distract anybody. But I'll, a lot of times I'm warring and dance. And the Lord will minister. There's been times I've been you know, in prayer and, and and God, Jesus will be like, dance with me. You know, and we get distracted sometimes and he's like, hey, it's about me. You know, there was a time when Miss Edith was, I don't even remember what it was, but I had prayed over her and I saw in the spirit her in a pavilion and Jesus was just like don't worry about it. and I saw like all these demons and stuff outside of it you know and she's really distracted by what's outside and he's like they can't come in here just dance with me you know and then I saw her just you know like peace dancing you know with him and I and that's what he wants sometimes is for us to stop being distracted by the stuff that really can't get us if we're safe in his pavilion
So sometimes he will say, dance with me. Sometimes he'll say war. Just follow the leading of the Spirit. Um, similitudes. All right, because I touched on that in dance, because a lot of times in warfare dance is a similitude, I will give you a scriptural basis for it. A similitude is akin to an acted out parable, like the sacrifices of Hosea's life. Hosea's entire life was a similitude, basically. Um, Hosea 12.10 says, I have also spoken by the prophets. This was God speaking. He said, I've spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Uh, similitudes uh, kind of have a bad name because a lot of times kooky people will claim they're doing similitudes and they're just being kooky or they're full of spirits. But there is a biblical principle. It's just anytime something is similar to what is happening in the spirit and you're acting it out in the physical. When the priest put out bread, we did that study about all the symbolism, the showbread. It was um, it was a similitude, basically. And of course, last but not least, in your war room, you have to have in your armory the sword of the word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession of faith for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. We need our sword. It is defensive. It is offensive. It is our discerner, and it is our discernment, and it knows your heart. It will speak to you when nothing else will. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, that giveth to all men liberally, and unbridleth not, and it shall be given unto him. So, in closing, we should pray with everything. Prayer with fasting. Prayer and preaching, prayer and teaching, prayer and prophesying, prayer and evangelizing, prayer and praise, worship and singing, prayer and ministering or counseling, and prayer and reading the word. Prayer should be coupled with everything that we do because that's our communion with God. If we're not praying while we're doing it, we're doing it on our own. Everything should be paired with prayer. If you pair everything with prayer, you will learn to pray without ceasing as instructed by Paul. Really learning to pray and pair everything with prayer is really learning to depend and trust on God and not so much ourselves, because we're seeking him in everything that we do. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play. 
or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.